Welcome to the Life on Shuffle podcast, a collection of stories about people who have taken chances, embraced the unexpected, and inadvertently discovered their true passion. Today, we are featuring Ronaldo, the owner of Ravs Corp from Granite Falls, North Carolina. I am Aaron, and my co-hosts today are Ethan, Jose, and Josh. Ronaldo was born in Sao Paulo, Brazil. He started working at age seven and got his first job at age 15. He has worked in numerous industries, such as shipping, product development, furniture, and sales. Ronaldo went to college at age 30 and went back again at age 50. He has a bachelor's degree of business administration and management, a master of business administration with a concentration in digital marketing, and a master of business administration with a concentration in marketing intelligence. He owns his own company, Ravs Corp, which currently services a group of companies owned by an Amish community. In his role, he supports and oversees executive management sales and marketing to support growth and retail presence. He has traveled around the world and is fluent in Portuguese, English, Spanish, and Japanese. He first visited the United States in 1989 and later moved for the first time in 1994. His passions are cooking and serving others. He enjoys spending time with his church family and feeds everyone he meets. His favorite thing to cook is Wagyu steak. Welcome to the show, Ronaldo. Thank you. Glad to be here. So what made you t- agree to join us today? I guess the excitement around uh, the approach first, I, I guess the motivation is, is the right one. Um, what could be more exciting to talk about things that you have passion for, you know, things that you're excited every morning when you wake up and, and hunt over it. So I'm, I'm very excited for, for it. It's a major challenge, so <laughs> I'm all yours. <laughs> well, we're excited for you to be here. Thank you. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your childhood? Sure. Um, Brazil, uh, Latin American country, is the only country in Latin America, as Jose I agreed. Uh, it's the only country that does not speak Spanish. It's Portuguese. Uh, it was uh, actually dominated by Portugal for many years, since the 1500s, and then there was born learning Portuguese. In the middle school, when I served here in, in Grand Falls, I used to tell the kids that I speak pork and cheese. Has to do with food, <laughs> um, but um, a family, a small family. We lived in the state of São Paulo. Grow up, just a normal kid, but in a in a not very um, uh, economic level situation. It's just, just you know, average. Uh, went through school to the process up to high school. Finished everything with good grades, but with the necessity to work. Three boys. I'm the youngest one. We start working at the age of seven and uh, to help them, you know, things in the house. Uh, things became very exciting in my personal life because between three of us, my brothers had different types of intelligences. You know, one reads a lot and memorizes a lot of stuff. The other is great with math and, and all those things. And I was just a dummy one. I guess I need to learn something. And eventually I, I joke Eventually, I started learning language by myself. Japanese was my second language for a while, then English um, and uh, Spanish. Uh, I do speak a little bit Italian. I speak Japanese. I can read and write. And so um, growing up in a community at my teenage, like you guys here, uh, speaking a, a little bit of second language in my early 20s or, you know, uh, that would uncover a lot of opportunities. Right there, I found my niche of life. I'm going to communicate. So if I can do anything through talking, that's what I'm going to be. So 
Um, we grew up in, in a southern, Sao Paulo is a southern state. So if you, uh, right now we're turning to here, going towards summer, they're going towards winter time. It's, it's exactly opposite. Um, childhood in Brazil, going to school is, I would say it's pretty much the same here, um, age-wise and the grades-wise. But I would say that we study more world uh, uh, ge geographic and history is more like world-based than country-based. In the U.S., I noticed through the years that you guys are more centerized in the U.S., which I love it because I have to, you know, to grasp that to myself. But um, the knowledge of the world through school also is something that excites me coming up. What uh, made you want to learn uh, Japanese? Haha, good question. Um, Brazil has the second largest Japanese community outside Japan, living in the city of Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo is a small little town with above, probably around maybe 18 million people. <laughs> I call it small because, you know, it's a little bigger than New York City. Mm -hmm. um, so being exposed to a, such a great community of Japanese, um, I ended up having my second job in the Japanese company called Komatsu, the tractor company. And uh, never excited me for my first, first couple of years there. Never really thought about I was going to learn this language. But one day, it's exactly like that. It was a click. One of the guys that I knew of turned to a person next to me, which was a Japanese, and started speaking Japanese to them back and forth. And that really hits me. It's like, how in the world a Brazilian can communicate that way? So I grab him by the arm and say, starting tomorrow, you're going to teach me Japanese. I don't care how it's going to happen. So like, okay, at lunchtime. So through that period, I was uh, the age of 17, going 18. And I did a couple of years in college at that age. But I had to choose between going to college or keep working. So I had to drop and came back at the age of 30. Uh, and we'll talk more about that later. Uh, but right there in my lunch hours, I start writing my, the phrases that I want to learn. And he will teach me katakana, which is kana for, for the Japanese, and writing words that are not, you know, foreign words, if you will. Then I went to college in my first year, I sat down between two young ladies, Japanese ladies, and one knew the alphabet that I knew, but did not know how to speak, and the other knew a different alphabet, and we start sharing. So is to say that we passed in all classes because we did all our notes in Japanese, some of them, so it was fun. Uh, that helped me out, but I always had a, a, a great respect for the culture, uh, the food itself, for the uh, Japanese and, and the Asians in Brazil are actually on top of every federal college or university. They are heavy, dedicated people, like deeply uh, committed people when it comes to studies. So to me, that was a good, uh, uh, something that excites me, hanging around the Japanese list, you know? Yeah. Did you struggle learning any of those languages? Um, English. Um, I never been to school for Japanese, English, or any other. But uh, for English, I had to go to school for one month, paid by the company that wants to hire me. And they said, unless you do not speak English, and I already knew Japanese, but they were not satisfied. They said, you need to know English. So I said, they said, we pay you school for three classes a week for a month, and we'll test you. If you pass, you stay in the job. That was a big opportunity for me. I was going, going crazy, you know, 24 years old, and I could make like 10 times I was making the previous job. And uh, 
all I did is turn everything off in Portuguese and turn everything on in English. Radio, TV, closed captures, book, Bible, conversation, friends, everything was English. If you don't, if you don't use English, I don't want to talk to you right now. I got a job too. <laughs> so uh, it came up that through help of good friends, um, that 30 days later, my boss come back from Japan. Uh, they actually offered me the job and say, but you need to pass on this thing to stay here. And then he started a morning meeting like just normal. And the meeting was, I called up English because it was English in Japanese sounds like a different language anyways. But he started asking questions on the table. It was four of us in a meeting. I started answering. But, and then suddenly he noticed that I was answering English. And then he stops the meeting and says, hey, you were speaking English. I say, yeah. So it's like, <laughs> so I kept the job, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> it was a exciting, exciting uh, just to be able to communicate. I guess I take for granted most of the time. I don't consider myself... Um, it's smarter or better than anybody when it comes to language because it's just a it's just a gift, and I do not have many other types of gifts. I got the language gift, I guess. You know. Uh, I have a question. Going back to your childhood, I, this question isn't on like the paper or anything, but like knowing you're from Brazil and everything, did you have like a passion or thing for soccer? Did your brothers have anything? We built our own field across the street of our <laughs> humble house. <laughs> we had all the boys in the street. We played soccer almost every day when we could, you know. It rained or sun, we were there being, you know, playing soccer balls. I never been good at it, to be honest. Uh, but I had, I had, you know, I enjoyed it, like through my childhood, uh, uh, playing, playing with my friends and everything. Uh, one of the things that I started learning when I became older and traveling the world, you have the opportunity to meet all those big players. I flew with the Brazilian, uh, you know, uh, 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 champions, you know, the whole team together a couple of times in, in first class because I was doing business all the time flying. So my travel agents connected me to be in the same flight in the same uh, in the same day that the Brazilian Seleção um, Brasileira, which they call, you know, for the World Cup, in so I sit down with players and talk to all those guys, Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, you know. Oh, you know, 2000, 2002? 2002. 2002 when we won, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, and it's fun. Soccer is good. You know, I try to help here in North Carolina as much as I could with the kids, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, what industries did you work in Brazil? Um, I started uh, working with, like I said, I had a couple of jobs as a very young age, uh, but official jobs were, um, I worked for a few years in a company that does zippers for clothing and stuff. I was responsible at the age of 15 for the warehouse. I was actually between 14 and 15 and delivering materials, controlling inventories and stuff like that. Then I went to Komatsu, which I worked for several years in, in the uh, uh, engineering, related to engineering department, but I was kind of just a service office kind of guy inside. That's when I went to the Army for a year and then also went to college for a couple of years doing that job. But at the end of the day in Brazil, if you are not really coming from a very wealthy family, you have to pay your studies and you have to go at night to college. And, and those four or five hours at night cuts off your sleep, it cuts off some opportunities of work. So I ended up making a decision that <laughs> I need to save some for later on. But um, the industries were pretty much, uh, we call the uh, uh, manufacturing heavy 
steel tractors, stuff like that. Um, and then I ended up uh, changing dramatically into the shipping business, which opened the world to, to, as an opportunity to me, start traveling all, literally all over the world uh, with, uh, and learning the logistics about how we save companies time and money when shipping from A to B, what kind of countries are connections, what kind of rules and regulations that implies to each, uh, each trade. So that gave me a world of uh, opportunity to build good relationships. And I did travel around 20 countries at a time. Uh, kind of, you know, it's been building a good experience for me. What was your driving factor on making that big switch? Uh, actually, it was a natural thing, I believe, because I, I left the company and then just like you're looking for a new job. But... One of the things, the messages I'm probably going to close with today is, besides the passion for all you do, you have to develop a little bit, and, and people who knows me, I use the word little bit all the time because everything starts with these small steps. And you have to develop a, at least a little bit of uh, care for building good relationships. And it was because my relationships that I made through life, I never run without a job. And I never went back neither into position, salary, or growth as for opportunity. It's always somebody looking after and say, hey, hey, you can do that. It was like, whoa, this is really big. Oh, you can do it. But it's because trust. So if I can leave anything on the table today, you know, uh, building solid, good relationships will open doors in the future that you do not see right now. But those things can change your life, you know, and they give you really a lot of excitement. So when did you decide to go back to college? Who? Um, uh, after I, um, after my time at the uh, Army, which is a year, is mandatory, I did a year. Uh, I decided that I'd take opportunity and do at least a couple of years. So I did two and a half years in college. It was a good one, actually. And I was in doing in administration international business, working the shipping business that back then. I was the age of 27, 28. But then opportunity to come to the United States, you know, was something for me to consider. I was already in management position at the age of 29, making good money, nice car, company car, and all those things. And uh, I was working for Federal Express back then. I developed their system of turning from package company, like package delivery, express package delivery, into cargo business, which was my forte, which was my experience back then. Um, with that, that scenario, um, I, uh, I knew that I could go back and, you know, and go back to school and do some, some more classes. But coming to the States, I had to shut that opportunity down, came here for the first year that I was here. I was just kind of, you know, hanging loose and, you know, that. But then I went to UNC, Charlotte, and I did my, uh, my first degree at the University of North Carolina in 1996. How did college impact your career? If I look into, and I'm not going to try to imitate Elon Musk here. You don't need to go to college. I'm going to say this. College is tremendously important. But you need to get something out of that quick. Uh, and what I wanted, it was networking. I wanted the knowledge of knowing people 
that know things or do things that interest to me through the knowledge of learning. I've never been the, the best student ever. I always, you know, been, been uh, dedicated to what I wanted. Uh, it's amazing because there are people that can learn by reading. I learn by listening. So if I go to a class through college, I probably never use half of my one first notebook. So I don't take notes much. But uh, it's because the way I learn. But if I miss a class, then I have to go and go to the books. And it's like, what happened, you know? Um, I think college, definitely, it is a step up on any young person's life. And if you can add to that experience of just going through, I call through the books when you're there, but going through the people as well, that when you build solid platform for your next step in life, whatever you're going to do. If it's going to be cooking, or if it's going to be flying, whatever you're going to do, but it starts in that network with people at your age. So I have a question. So you moved from Brazil to the United States, but how was that like culture change from Brazil to the United States? Or was it easier? Did you know English during that time? Well, I, I still learning though, because I came here and, and I got into my redneck class and I haven't got all yet. <laughs> I don't talk like y'all talk, that's for sure. But uh, it was fun. It was, it was a culture, it is always a shock, but not a bad shock. I don't mean in a bad way, negative way. I think coming from a different country that admires American culture, Brazilians overall, we admire the way Americans was built the quality of life, the opportunities, the freedom, especially these days, if you look into my country, you're pretty much you know, under so much uh, stress in that regard. Secondly is learning how people act, like one simple thing that I, was, I had to learn. In Brazil, if you say, come on, come to my house and have breakfast with me. So you invite somebody for breakfast. So people come in, they will have breakfast, and they will stay five hours. If, if you allow it, if it's like a weekend or something. So you ended up cooking lunch and serve them too, you know. Here in America, I was invited one time, and, and after like an hour that we were chatting after breakfast, this gentleman, he was a super guy, and he turned to me and said, it's time for you to leave because I need to start cooking lunch, and I did invite you for lunch. <laughs> and we laugh about it, but he was teaching me, like, when we invite you for certain things, we invite you for that thing. And uh, I started learning, like, you know, the courtesy of calling people before coming to their places, ask permissions, because the other part of the land belongs to somebody else. So you, those lines of respect and how you pertain those things, especially in the countryside of the, the you know, in the U.S., I think I, I've been, been very um, blessed that I chose North Carolina uh, to, to have my American life kind of, you know, be started. So... A what, tough one. <laughs> what industries have you been involved in the United States? Um, my first job in the U.S. was um, furniture for many years. Um, it is the was back then in 1996, probably very strong industry in the area. They, uh, they invited me to join the company, um, a hickory chair company belonging to a lane, uh, lane group. Um, I was taught everything from you know from the type of wood to the type of finishing on that on that upholstery at the end 
So they, they took a very good care of me in the years that I worked with the Hickory Share Company. Um, that took me around the world selling Hickory Chair in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, uh, offering those sales in Israel and Kuwait and uh, also uh, selling to Japan, which was one of the reasons that I was hired, um, and uh, in Latin America for sure because I was a Latino kind of guy. Um, that gave me a lot of exposure to the manufacturing process, Kaizen, you know, like, you know, lean manufacturing stuff, all that. I was involved in a lot of those things. Uh, right after that, I was invited to join Lazy Boy Incorporated, which is a big manufacturing conglomeration, and they gave me a um, position to direct sales business in Latin America, open galleries for them in uh, um, Dominican Republic, uh, Jamaica, Bahamas, and I was in those Caribbean islands every month, So, which is a real tough life, going every every month going to Dominican Republic and good food and <laughs> the Bahamas. <laughs> it was real rough. <laughs> uh, it was a good job, great, great companies. Furniture always impressed me. And uh, after that, I was actually, one of my great experiences in the U.S. was working for the supply for the furniture embedding, which is Leg and Platt Incorporated, which was the company that I ended up uh, working for a longer time and selling for all the furniture guys, all the bedding manufacturers such as Sealy, Surter, Siemens, you know, of the world and being all over China and all over Latin America, developing relationships and manufacturing operations down there. So it's very exciting. You said something and I don't know if anybody else caught on to it, but you said for most of those you were invited to join so most people wouldn't use that language in a career, not a career choice, but like a position change or something. Like I was just curious as to how, like you were just network so much that people were just offering you jobs left and right. I would say that I don't think I need to. I asked for a job probably one or two times, maybe like, hey, can I? And, and it was like a relationship already there. It was just a matter, can you help me? I probably need to yeah. work here or something. <laughs> Most of the time it was an invitation, like a, from from Hickory Chair into Lazy Boy was a awesome invitation. I had this solid network, and this guy said, "You have to work with these people." So they flew me to to uh, the corporate office and uh, spent a day. And they said, "We want you. We'll talk to anybody that needed." So we don't uh, because when you're building in your life towards people and and being relational, you don't you you guys invent the word called do not burn bridges like burn yeah. bridges um the f number one thing i recommend is if you live in a job even if you don't like it just pretend like you're being filmed smile you on the camera just smile and walk <laughs> out because whatever you say is not going to make a difference you already decide in your heart in your mind that you're going to leave anyways so don't burn that bridge don't slam that door and uh, for me to move from company A to B, always there was either a letter or phone call that was actually followed through in order to keep that door open and secure the other one stays open. So this is always good. You never know how much great value those things have in your future life. I'm here, back here in the U.S. after, right before COVID, I was down in Brazil for seven plus years you know, develop some new business, and there's so many other stories to tell. But if the doors were not open in the U.S., I wouldn't be back here right before COVID. Yeah, yeah. And there was relationship that brought me back, So, which is 
you know, always a blessing. Uh, yeah, that's just a, I think that's an interesting way to have moved through life. You know, most people are, I don't know, I don't want to say me, 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 but you were saying it's all relationship based mm-hmm. and you've developed a, a, what you are satisfied with in a career choice just based off that you get to interact with people and you get to develop mm-hmm. relationships and that just keeps in turn giving back to you with new and exciting things. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine, ima- just imagine like a good friend because sometimes family can be tricky, but imagine a good friend, a group, good friend that you have. And this friend comes to you and say, hey, can you help me doing this and that? And it's like, oh yeah. And at the end, they say, oh, you have me so much. Here's something for you, a gift or something. And it's like, oh, I don't deserve it. It's like, oh, it's for you. Now, same picture. Imagine having somebody that you appreciated say, you know what? I think you can do this, and we can even pay you good for it. And it's like the job suddenly is not heavy anymore. The job right now is helping a friend. Like when I was hired by um, Leg and Platt under Haynes Converting Company here in Conover, uh, I remember the interview was the funniest one ever. This old fellow, good guy, called me and said, come on, just tell me how much you want to earn. We already heard all about you in the industry, so we're just going to hire you. How much it is? Tell me a number. I was like, no, I'm not going to tell you a number. So let's have lunch. So we have lunch and tell me a number. Anyway, just in case to see if you're expensive. So I was like, I was, on, I was with Lazy Boy back then, and I said, well, you know, I make this six figures, blah, blah, blah. Maybe six plus something would be like, you know, I, <laughs> for not to leave because I didn't want to leave. I was pleased. Yeah. So I put a big number in there. And uh, he did. He was funny. He's looking. Up, I thought you were expensive. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I started laughing and said, here's your office. I was, I was still working for the company. I said, oh, we're going to call them. We're going to tell them that you gonna be here but you're gonna you're not gonna compete against it's gonna be a service it's a different segment so they all took care of the the network for me so right there how do i feel i come here to help those guys build a better sales strategy overseas where they do not have communication skills or knowledge or even the ability to travel like i was i was the only executive single at the time and um, and i was managing mexico primarily and then all the Latin American sales. And I have a good, a, a good story to tell about Mexico. It takes a little minute, but I, I'd love to tell you because I think oh, please. A, yeah. everything is so fun. But sometimes you have a little bit out of the fun that it's good to t- look back and say, oof, you survived it. But um, I took the job believing not for the money I was going to make, which is awesome, but for the opportunity to help a group of guys that you ended up likening through the process that makes your job easy. So some days we'll be thinking like, am I really working? You know, but you are. <laughs> you there, you you moving to think of that. Mexico for uh, for for our business is huge for many of the industries, especially when it's related to bedding, which is mattress, and furniture, any kind, case goods, upholstery, and everything else. Um, you hear all kinds of stories going back 10, 15 years or 20 years back when Mexico became the m- major outsource for U.S. companies. There is a area in Mexico, called, a state called San Luis Potosí, where I lived for almost three years under the U.S. corporation. And uh, that is a location that is logistic, very strategical for all the U.S. companies in that area, in, in the 
100 miles range, you can put a factory, you can develop suppliers and everything can ship by truck, easy, blah, blah, blah. So I lived in that place and um, so funny that we were working in that industry. In Mexico, there's a lot of kidnaps. Uh, in Mexico City, back then it was like a kidnap every 35 minutes or something. Every executive flying into Mexico City have a chance, 50% chance, by getting a cab out of the airport to be kidnapped on the way to their work. Oh, wow. So back then it was pretty sad. Yeah. I had a factory that I run in Mexico City, one in Guadalajara, one in San Luis Potosí. And every time I traveled to Mexico City, I would not use cabs. I was our own guy, so you got to know who you driving with, and you, you don't dress fancy, always kind of low profile, you know, kind of make it easy. So I never, I never had trouble until my company, and this story is real funny, <laughs> tragic, but funny. Um, the company had a acquisitions, and I was not involved. They trying to buy somebody, and then by doing the due diligence, they figure out that company was not worth what they're saying. There's some, some not consistent, not to say other words, information to the balance of the numbers and everything else. So they denied, but that denier was like seven million plus dollars worth of money for that Mexican person who was somehow probably involved with some not good group of people. So he tried to kidnap the first executive you see that could get hold on it in Mexico. That started went that way. So they took all the executives because we have a lot of business in Mexico in different areas. But they, they actually, the corporation took everybody out, but they forgot about the Brazilian because I was doing my own thing. They just really, I mean, it was not a bad thing, but they forgot about me. And a couple of days later, they called me. The president here from the U.S. called me and said, go to a, to a secret area, don't say anything, grab your stuff and leave like you're going to the parking lot. But don't tell anybody, no secretary, nobody, just leave and go. So it's much it's like, what was going on? And say, well, then they told me the story, you know, your name appears in a list, somebody's going to, they know of you, they know what you drive, and you were going to take you out of there without going to Mexico City. There's a direct flight from this San Luis Potosí into Houston. We'll fly to Houston, and it's good. So you walk into the airport next morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. Small little town, just like Granite Falls, few people in the line, but I, I knew nobody on the airline. And right before my, me approaching you know, the, the, the counter, my name is yelled. Hey, Mr. Souza, you here? So we just uh, we got you first class from Mexico City. So oh, yeah. uh, like, <laughs> that was a no no yeah. red flag all over. So I turned back, denied the flight, went back to the hotel, paid cash, and for a couple of days I was not able to go anywhere, nor ordering room service because there was a threat that I could be kidnapped at any time. And finally, I had a chance to fly out to Houston and. After that, I was kind of, I can't say it's fun, but back then it was like probably uh, very stressful being in, involved in something that I heard so much about kidnap. I knew people that was kidnapped flying with me. Like, I mean, they flew with me and a couple of days later they were kidnapped. Oh, no. And yeah. it was like, how in the world? So overall, uh, the second thing I would say, besides you building good relationships in life, I changed the word of striving to be better but he's striving to know that I'm blessed. The be of better are turning to blessed because if you're not blessed in what you do, why try to be better, you know? So, uh, and I've been very blessed. 
actually, literally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> who, would, who would have ever thought that the furniture industry would lead to could such get a you to <laughs> into it? It's dangerous out yeah. there. I tell you. I mean, what is the most interesting place you've ever traveled to? There's a lot of places very interesting. I tell this story. I was uh, the first time I ever went to the Middle East. Something here was have Mr. Your president was Mr. Bill Clinton, and there was some, you know, issues going on here with some personal actions. And in order to divert attention of the U.S., he ordered some maneuvers in the Middle East. The week I was there, it was when he was doing that, and I flew in, and I got into the car with my cousin, which was a very rich man and all these big Mercedes bulletproof cars, and we start seeing jets going around the coast and everything else, and I say, what's going on? It's like, oh, you're president. And I say, no, no, I'm Brazilian. <laughs> right now I'm Brazilian. <laughs> Here's my green passport. <laughs> and he say, well, you're president. You started with something crazy. We may just go to war. It's like, and it was, I was there for a week, and it was like kind of weird. Uh, but the most beautiful place, tough to call, I, because I'm very people and food oriented. So I can tell a name of a nice restaurant in every country that I've been, in every city that I've been in the world, because that's how I perceive. I take people to places and I memorize the food, the name, the address. I can drive in China today if we go there and I know exactly where to go. Um, Dominican Republic is one of the most beautiful countries. The island is by far beautiful um, and I enjoy it there very much. But I would say uh, I see beauty in the uh, north of China, and I see a lot, a lot of beauty in um, both in Japan, uh, and uh, believe it or not, in uh, Germany, in the northern area of Germany, when we had you know our trade shows and stuff. There's the world is so beautiful. I make it'll be. I'm not going to make justice if I say a specific city, but there's uh, exciting places to be, I'm telling you. Very exciting places to be around the world. Do you think the the travel and the being able to see all the beautiful places was like an unexpected perk of your life choices? I mean, you wouldn't have made those decisions based for the travel, but now you're like, well, that was... That was worth it. Awesome question. And I I challenge each one that listens to this to take a very good looking to the path you are walking because uh, those things comes. It's a, it's, I, I love the question because I didn't plan it. I wouldn't I would not be able to to do that. And uncovering the world in the eyes of a person who is there to communicate a message to somebody else and learn about their business and try to sell in the other hand. So it is a amazing because you treat it like a royal to everywhere you go, especially if you go to the Asia countries. To me, China, to this date, the executives in China, the most humble ones to the bigger ones, that any company that you deal at the first time, they will treat you like you're the president of the United States. They will treat you as a royalty. They do the best they can to show you things. They're proud of their their city or their whatever they where they are um i think that comes with a little bit of, you need to be humble because those things you know the companies are paying for you to be there so how are you going to do you're going to extend or you're going to not misuse it um so i believed in if you go there with the, the right heart 
and you work hard, all the perks start multiplying because now we send you back and now you now you can explore you know so that's what i was blessed enough and i'm very thankful for every company and every relationship i had in business so far in my life very very blessed have you had any setbacks did uh actually there is a thing i learned uh when i was doing the my second mba um i didn't mention on my previous profile but i did do a non-credit MBA in Singapore for a month um, and uh, it was based on how third world culture economically and spiritually can be outreached and uh, it's it's what's taught by Indians by Americans and uh, and by um, by some Latin American uh, people that was related to this program and uh, that opened my eyes to to be prepared that sometimes in life which you think and I, I told y'all just a few minutes ago i've been blessed of being invited and moving jobs to jobs and always growing so to me this is like ooh, you know great uh the setbacks that i see that happens like coming back to us i had to totally change everything i was doing i gave up everything done in brazil uh, and doing all the things different in order to be able to uh, become here, come back here and restart from ground zero and rebuild everything again. But based on the solid network and good relationships and the skills, that thing just turned quickly, quickly back. So uh, I guess... Uh, reduces your fear when you have challenges you know i got everybody has challenges but uh, uh i guess overall i'm i'm very blessed <laughs> is there anything you would change about your career path there's a joke say i wish i studied more <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was a better student when i was in college now uh not really i would say that li- uh, your life is very unique you're setting yourself for a challenge right now, for a journey. There's no way back. You're only going to get older and you can get wiser or you can get slower. But you're always going to get older and you're always going to grow. You're always going to move forward. Even forward means towards left. And I don't mean political, <laughs> but, you know, all right. But you're, you're always moving. So I guess I would say this. I have friends that were with me in the same path that I was and they probably are twice as richer, bigger in money, in savings and everything else which I love for them, happy but all the growth and earnings that I did through the years I share with people as fast as I could and I decided that my life as short as will be or as long as will be will be center not to buy things for people but to relate it to them with the with the opportunities that you gain through your earnings and in time in life giving time to people especially if you can sit down in a night in around nice food it is worth millions and i close deals with so many people around the table you know and and those things tells me that are good stories to tell um, I wouldn't change anything other than maybe run faster toward people, you know, r- reach more people as I can, you know. Uh, so, 
<clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, looking back, who was your biggest influence? Um, not many people know about this, but we were, like I said, uh, I was born in a, uh, in a neighborhood that was not, you know, fancy, for lack of a better word. Uh, through the needs of uh, our, during our growing up, we, we went through a lot of hardships as a family. Uh, I feel like uh, my, uh, my mom took over, you know, working two jobs, trying to raise three boys. We did the best we could. We started working at young ages. We built, built up quickly. I mean, we were okay. Um, but I feel like uh, opportunities in life, it's, um, it's something that you, you are to set yourself for, um, I used the word this, this morning to a customer say, I come unarmed every time I go to see people. I come unarmed. So don't hit the messenger. I'm just going, and eventually I am not only the messenger, I'm there to cut, cut the deal and resolve the issue. So I think it's like, I don't know if I'm answering your question properly, but you can re get back to me. But I think the process of living gives you enough marks, enough, enough uh, background to continue to step yourself forward as, if, as you can, you know? So um, I, don't, I apologize if I didn't answer your question properly. No, you're fine. So it was more like your whole life was the influence instead of just one person in particular. Well, now, sorry, that, that's important. I forgot about that. Okay, the hardship I was trying to explain is came through in at age at 12. I uh, I got saved. That's the word we say in English, right? I mean, I met I met a group of guys of my age. They used to go. I was going to the Catholic church once a year, and they were going every weekend to a Baptist church. And they're my age. They ride bikes, just do everything I do. I say, well, what is fun about this? You know, this different. So we start hanging out, and I start moving and start going to the uh, to the Baptist church. And a year later, I baptized, and I. That moment, at the age of 12, I could tell you that the influence of people that didn't expect me giving anything back to them, but investing time in educating me, it was the father I didn't have in, in my earlier ages. And that group of people that I call the church, uh, and today as an old age, I can see the figure. If you say one person that changed my life, that's for sure was Jesus, you know? but using people, real people, just like y'all, to just a little bit, pieces and beats, giving me, you know, a contribution to my life to build the character that I have. So um, I think it's a, it's a blessing to, to know, know God at a young, younger age. And you don't need to become a freak. You just need to know that there is one awesome, great God that can stir up the pot and your life is going to be good at the end it's like wow i thought it was a mess is a paint and you're a good picture so that's how i see my life what is the most important lesson you have learned over your lifetime and is there any advice that you'd any more mm -hmm. advice you'd give um not every time in every situation everything is going to be easy or fun it's up to you and uh, the knowledge and the um, and the strength that you build and that you you know 
build on your in your life that's going to help you to go through those process so I'm not a good dancer, but I will use this language. Every time it's a heavy load coming towards me, I'll shake myself up, and I got to go back and do it again. I guess standing still will not help me. If I can let somebody, if, if, if this reaching somebody that, you know, would take an advice today, um, I would say I would show up. Don't be a quitter. Don't say, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Show up today. Go there. That is 50% of every good job you're going to get in the world today just by showing up on the first conversation. They invite you for breakfast or lunch. Don't disregard it. Show up. They invite you just to, just to see what they're doing. Show up. Secondly, I would say uh, go unarmed. Go there to build a relationship. Try it. It doesn't hurt to have a good friend. A friend that you're not going to need today, but you're going to need 10 years from now. Build a good network. And then have fun. But don't have fun by yourself. Have fun. B continue to build this network of good relationships because that's going to be a help to you and to others. So, And that, to me, changed my life. Thank you to Renato for joining us today. Today's episode was recorded on April 25th, 2023. This episode was produced by Ethan, and it was hosted by Aaron, Jose, and Josh.